We are recording a live podcast for the Rugby Players Association called The Player's Voice. This is our first live podcast we've done. The eagle-eyed amongst you would have noticed that I'm not alone up here today. I'm delighted to be joined by two Harlequins and England internationals in Shauna Brown and Will Joseph. So a round of applause for our guests, please. Good interaction. There we go. That's a fantastic start. Oh, I just realised I didn't introduce myself. Sorry, my name is Ethan Waller. Uh, I am the current RPA Chair and Rugby Player for Northampton Saints, and I will be your relatively lacklustre host for this afternoon. Um, so, both, great to see you both. Um, really looking forward to your insights as we dive into all things World Cup and England. But firstly, I think we should probably have a little catch up with both of you. Will, we'll start with you as you've got the microphone. Um, it's, been, it's been a pretty eventful off-season for you, hasn't it? Um, yeah, it's been a it's been a whirlwind. I was at London Irish before before they went past, um, and during that off season, I was looking for a new job. Um, and I also I was also in camp for the first two weeks, so I got a little insight to what preparing for a World Cup looks like. Um, and I was lucky enough to get a gig at Harlequins, and I've done about six, seven weeks there, and I'm really enjoying it, um, and things are going well, and my feet are settled now a little bit, and just looking forward to the season season starting. How's it been settling into a new club? Obviously, you were, you were Irish through your academy years, and it's the club that you grew up with, having to have a full shake-up as such. Is it, has it been an easy way to settle in? Yeah, well, my Irish was pretty much home for me. I was there from the age of... 11 and it was pretty much all I knew um, and joining Quinns it, it's like joining a new school joining a new club but they've, they've been really welcoming and I've really enjoyed my time there so far obviously I'm really looking forward to, to playing now because pre-season pre-season's pretty tough um, but no it's good like there's a great group of lads a good coaching staff and, and things are going well yeah so it's the longest pre-season in the world to join yeah, a new club. Know, it's a great it's, move great move uh, Shauna, brilliant to see you come out of retirement to play for Harlequins again. Talk us through those retirements. What, what would you do during that time before you decided to come back? So I had seven months of being a normal human, which was fantastic. I was eating what I wanted, drinking what I wanted, didn't have to watch for anything. And if I wanted to go to the gym, I did. And if I didn't, I just wouldn't. And nobody was going to tell me off. So I had a wonderful seven months, but I got a little bit fat. So I thought, I'm going to have to find something else to do and go back to training. Um, but the main bulk of it while I was away, it was, I was coaching in the Cayman Islands in the Caribbean and I learned a lot about myself on my coaching journey and, and a lot about other people and how to work with them and how to talk it and realise almost how much I actually know about rugby because I was a late comer to rugby and it's always like the butt of jokes and actually when I talk and, and talk about what I know, there's, there's a lot going on in my head. So it was good to, to, to be around new people, a whole new environment and, and take rugby to a different part of the world. Um, but yeah, glad, glad to come home in the end and, and now, like you say, back at Harlequins and busted my guts on the pitch. Do you think that was a, a big part of why you came back, going out there and coaching again, sort of reigniting that passion, that love for rugby? Is that one of the main reasons you decided to come back? Yeah, it, it was almost my moral duty off pitch. Like I've got so much to offer both on and off pitch and everything I do as much as I love the off pitch stuff, it's only amplified when I play. Um, so coming back and playing and physically I, I could and I, and I can. So 
a lot of it, yeah, was, was about other people and being able to get them to realise that rugby can be for them too. They may not have seen it as the type of person who plays rugby and they may not have literally even watched a game of rugby, but actually it's catch the ball, run forwards and put the ball past the white line. It's really quite a simple game in my eyes. And if someone gets in your way, run into them, not around them, obviously, you run into them, of course. <laughs> you and me are on the same page with that, Will, not so much. Well, that's brilliant, but we'll, we'll sort of centre back round because this podcast is not based just around the game today, but about the World Cup in general. Um, we were having a discussion earlier, most countries have named their squads now, and there have been some surprise inclusions and omissions all around the world. Is there, have there been any that have taken your eye that have been the news over the last few weeks? Um, it's more the introduction of, well, new teams, but teams who are not traditionally rugby nations and, and this will be Chile's first World Cup but also like the strength of growing of the Japanese and Uruguay and Argentina and you just like they're bringing something new to rugby rugby's been played by the same type of people for so long and actually some of it's boring because they're playing the same type they're on reading the same textbooks they're doing the same thing but you just get new brains watching and doing and coaching and it's like, well, why don't we do it like this? Like, why are we kicking for a penalty and doing a, a, mall, a rolling mall every time we get a penalty? Why not tap and go? Like, just little tiny things like that. So yeah, just having new, new brains and new eyes on the game is what is exciting for me. And I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because you would have, especially before this competition, you would have had USA nail on to be part of this. And obviously, in the World Cup qualifiers, they ended up losing. So we've now got a completely new team in Chile in this competition, having a look and see how they'll go. And that's something I'm really interested to see the dynamic. But Will, you you you've worked closely. Um, we'll, we'll come on to this a little bit more later. But you obviously worked closely with Eddie Jones. You got your first cap under him. He's obviously gone to Australia now, and there's been a lot of buzz in the media about his Australia. Um, picks and, and, the, and the players that he's left out in Hoover and Cooper, um, unintentional right, apologies. But also, you, you know, he's only taken one fly half with, with four caps. What, what do you make of those those calls? Is that is that typical Eddie? Uh, yeah, I would say that it's pretty typical Eddie. Like he's he's a real character, and what you see in the media is him. And that squad he selected, I, I, I knew there would be some surprises. Maybe not that many, but. Him just taking one ten, he's obviously got a lot of faith in his young lads, and I think for him, he's probably looking more to the future, going off the squad he's picked. Um, but yeah, he's a real character, and yeah, he's gonna it'll be entertaining during this World Cup. I think, I mean, seeing him in the, the pre and post match interviews, the way he operates, like he, he clearly enjoys ruffling feathers. Do you think there's a part of him that's chosen half of this, knowing that it'll probably get injuries and those players will be recalled? Or do you think it's actually a tactic from him that perhaps he's not as fussed about this World Cup and he's looking towards the future? Um, I think, I personally, I think Eddie's big on how people train and, and what he can see. So I reckon, obviously we're not involved in the Australia camps, but I reckon if he went in there, the young boys are probably, probably train, out training the older lads. and. There's probably a lot of stuff going on behind the scene that Eddie likes in these young boys and, and he's probably thinking, well, they can do it now and they can do it for the future. Um, and that's probably the reasoning for why he's going for this type of scheme. High risk, high reward, the Eddie Jones strategy. That's what we like to see. Um, Shauna, as, as the only one out of the three of us that's committed, uh, sorry, competed in a World Cup, 
how important are warm-up games like this? Because we saw last week in Cardiff, I think it's, it, it's fair to say that it wasn't the most exciting game or the most um, high-skilled game, but is there a degree of, of keeping some cards up your sleeves in these games? Yeah, there's different dynamics when it comes to warm-up games. And for us, before our World Cup campaign, our squad wasn't selected yet. So it was a chance for us as players to show what we can do, what we can offer. But the men are in a different place, as in their, their English squad has been announced. And I actually think there might be an element of like self-preservation in it as well now. So if you get hurt in this game as, as one of the boys who's been selected, it's like, like what, what I could have done. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure we'll be into a much, <laughs> a much more entertaining game this week either. But it, it'll be good to see, like, you know, the, the, the systems and that stuff, the, the really rugby stuff go in place. And, and yeah, certainly you do want to keep a few, few tricks up your arm before a World Cup. I think the last time we saw pre-World Cup, uh, a loss to Wales and then a, a repeat fixture back at Twickenham the following year was in 2007, where it was then a 62-point win over Wales. Do you think we're looking at something similar to that today? Or like you say, do you reckon there's a degree of self-preservation about it and it might be a little less exciting? Uh, in a word, no. <laughs> but how, how do these camps differ? So obviously in the Six Nations, you, you're all together. You spend a lot of time with each other, admittedly for a smaller period, but these games are, are spaced out pretty evenly. In the World Cup, everything gets so condensed with midweek games, trying to fit in all the pool fixtures. In terms of environment and pressures, is it is it vastly different? Yeah, for sure. It's different in, in a lot of ways. It's different physically as to how much time we spend together. So in a Six Nations campaign, we're sort of in and out between club and country and, and a bit of time at home if you're lucky. But with a World Cup campaign, we were in from July, well, essentially till, till the end, middle of November at the World Cup final. So it's a lot of, of pressure on you emotionally, being away from your loved ones and being around the same group of people for a long time. And there's no personal space in the point in the fact that you share a room. So like that was something I always struggled with. Like there was no safe place that only I could go into. Um, so emotionally, it's very different. And like I said, the time you spend together, but also it's um, it's, it's intense. It's, 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 it's intense because everyone wants to do the same thing. Everybody wants to be in that World Cup squad. And, Sometimes you think, oh, I thought you was my mate. Why did you act like that? But they're trying to get their space in the World Cup squad as much as, as anyone else. So, yeah, when we had visitors come in, they're like, you, you can feel like this is a, this is a, for a World Cup campaign. So, yeah, I think for me, it's very different in so many ways. And, well, obviously, like we say, we've spoken about Eddie Jones, and, and obviously you've had your experience under him, and he's a bit of a, an interesting character, um, even PC. But you've obviously then been in the World Cup camp with Steve Borthwick, um, two very contrasting characters. In terms of the intensity of the camps, I imagine they're pretty similar though. I imagine everyone's still at the top level. Is there anything huge in the way that, that you train that's been different between the two? Um, well, with Steve, um, it was it's, we're training for a World Cup, whereas with Eddie, we, we finished the season and we were going into a at all, so it was more of a pre-season feel with Steve, and um, he's very big on the running and, and getting your meters up. Like we obviously kick the ball quite a lot, and for someone like me, that means a lot of chasing the ball. Um, so that was probably the biggest difference for me, just how Steve's emphasis on on, on kick chase and, and working hard for each other, and like I think any World Cup campaign, like. 
got to go into a dark place. I don't know if you've been watching the, the inside line stuff, but like, yeah, we were going to some dark places and there's a, there's a lot of running and it's a, it's a lot of hard work, yeah. It's interesting because I, I was chatting to someone about the other day because I think, you know, Borthwick has got a, a tough job. He's coming to a World Cup year just before Six Nations, got the gig and he's expected to, to make the country as competitive as possible. Um, but put his own stamp on it and there'll be a lot of people saying especially after last week you know is he doing that but if you look back at his Leicester career when he first joined Leicester during that COVID period as, as, as head coach you know they, they weren't fantastic and then the following year that's when they kicked on do you think the stuff that Steve's putting in place now in terms of the culture the team building the, the systems that will become second nature do you think that's going to pay dividends for England certainly in the future but will it pay dividends in time for this World Cup to compete aggressively? I think um, every coach coming into a new job needs a bit of time. And he's sort of been chucked in, chucked in at the deep end. Um, and I'm hoping that by the time the World Cup comes, we'll be in a better place. But um, I'm not sure what we'll see. Like, I think these warm-up games will be big. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure we'll see, we'll see what happens in the future. Like, it is, it's hard to say. Obviously, it needs a bit of time. Um, and, I, and I think we'll know the answer later on down the line what, what they face is. We'll definitely soon see. But I think today, obviously, we've got a. And Shona, I'll come back to you on this. On that note, we've, we've got a much more traditional looking England team out today. You, you know, the returning likes of Laws, Farrell, Atoji. That's what I think fans would be used to. So today, is, is, is that going to be something that works in England's favour? Or do you think they might not have had enough rugby and integration at this time? How do you think they're going to go with those you know, traditional star names back? I think it would be good to, to settle people and settle the boys in terms of they know who they're playing with. They know the style of the person. They literally know the sounds of voices and know where they're going to be physically on the pitch. And, even though someone might not say something, you know what they want because you've played for them for so long and, and so well. Um, but I think it's natural to have like two different styles of squad, even within the, the short space of a week, because that's what World Cup games are about. It's about giving new players a run out, seeing what they can do, but also emphasizing that the World Cup is a, is a long campaign. Your starting 15 is not going to win you a World Cup. And, and even if players don't get into the 23, which I didn't that often during during the, the Women's World Cup. But you're there, you're training against them, you're running a D, you're running the attack against their D. Like you're as much a part of the squad as well, so it's important to give those players value too. And, and whether that is a bit of game time or something else that makes them feel like part of the squad, because it can be tough as someone who is either not starting or not in the squad at all to, to go out there and give you 110 percent all of the time. So I think it was good last week to have have a different squad. Um, and then equally, like I say, this week, that it's very normal for it to change so much. And yeah, it'll be probably more like what we think our starting 15 will be when it comes to the first game, but you can only see. And there's so many, with, it, with everyone back fit and everyone firing in this squad, there are so many selection headaches. Do you play Laws in the back row? Do you play Earl, you've got Winnipola? You know, he's our only specialist eight there at this at this time. You've got Ludlum, who's been tenacious in the last few games and was fantastic in the Six Nations. You've got the whole debate about Ford, Farrell, Smith. 
Ollie Lawrence did really at the centre is the experience of that. There's, there's so many different questions at the moment about what partnership's best. But for you two both, I suppose I'm interested, who, who are your non-negotiables? Who are the, the people that you think, give me three that you think need to be on that team sheet for England to have the best success? Throw you right in the deep end. Um, well, I definitely think Freddie. Freddie, I think he's he's played every game since he's been in, and he's been excellent, like under the high ball, and he's, he's very safe. You want two others, okay? And I think, <laughs> well, um, I'd, I'd probably say Ellis Genk, whether that's starting or off the bench, I think the impact he has, like he's a leader and, and he's, he's vicious, he's aggressive. And then I think I think Farrell as well is also another leader who, who controls the game very well and he's like the England man, isn't he really? Like he's sort of the pinnacle and, and he's a real leader, like working with him, he's, he's pretty inspirational and, and he sets the standards. Absolutely. Shona, what do you think? Um, I'm gonna start with Mero Soji. He's he's just an incredible athlete. He's takes charge of the lineup, he settles it, and as a forward, I know how important it is to have someone who is so calm and controlled when it comes to the lineup, no matter what the situation is with the rest of the game. If your lineup caller is calm and confident and knows exactly what they're doing, then as a forward in the lineup, you're good. Um, I'd also go with Owen Farrell somewhere on the pitch, whether it's 10 or 12, and I, I do quite like the, the Smith and Farrell combination sometimes. Um, in terms of, I can just imagine him whispering in Smith's ear every so often, like, oh yeah, that was a good call, mate. So I think, yeah, Farrell on the pitch somewhere. And, and again, Courtney Laws. I do quite like him at six. Um, but if they put him in the second row, I'm not going to have a drama. So again, Courtney Laws on the pitch somewhere, but six is a, is a good place for him to be. I don't envy Steve Borgman because he's some of the hardest decisions to make. But as you mentioned earlier, Sean, there's, that everyone's going to have a part to play in this, whether that's on the training field or whether that's the midweek games. I'm sure we're going to see many more combinations anyway before this World Cup's out. But enough about England, I suppose. In, in, you know, in all fairness, we must talk about Wales as well. So we'll, we'll dive down then. A, a pretty underwhelming Six Nations, a, a rugby ecosystem that externally looks a little bit shaky as most do at the moment, in fairness. Um, and some key internationals announcing their retirement pre-World Cup. But not just that, but talks of, talks of waterboarding in some of the, uh, the pre-season camps, which is, you know, from the external point of view, pretty crazy. And then they go and beat England in the first game of the Millennium. So you can, you can never write off Wales, can you? No, never. I was, um, I was very impressed with Wales last week. I thought they looked very fit and they, they, they looked like they're... Yeah, that was probably probably one of the best performances I've seen from them of recent. Like they, they looked hungry, they looked fit, um, and it'll be interesting to see how they go today. Like I think they've they've gone for two big squads last week and this week. Um, so against an English squad who look, it looks like the, the number one squad at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see how they go today if they're still at the same levels they were at last week. But yeah, no, they look very strong and I was impressed. And I think it'll be interesting to see how they go at the World Cup because I think their side of the pool is, like there's two sides of the pool that are a bit easier and I think they're probably on that easier side. So once you make it to the quarters or the semis, like it is a semi-one game, so, so it'll be interesting. I think it's, um, 
it's certainly there's certainly a lot to say. And having watched, like you say, the, the, the big rugby fan in me has watched the Open Inside Lights, watched the Welsh stuff on YouTube as well. And the Welsh certainly, by the, by the seems of it, have been focusing a lot on that mental toughness and that fortitude. You've both been through a lot of pre-seasons. I mean, we just talked about practice your first full one, but you've been through pre-seasons. Do you find that those fitness sessions that aren't necessarily the most rugby relevant, but are all about testing your mental fortitude and testing to what darker place you can go, do you think they're actually of more benefit to you during the season? Uh, short answer, yes, because like I say, anyone can be physical. You can teach you can teach anyone how to be physical. You can teach anyone how to play rugby. But working on someone's mind is, is such a specialist skill. And no matter how good you are at rugby, if you can't handle higher pressure situations, then you're going to fall apart. And I think a lot of it around international camps. And for me, it was it was a, purely a test of mental toughness and. You question yourself so well. I question myself so often, and I think, why am I here? Do I want to be here? Am I good enough to be here? But eventually, you get round to telling yourself, yes, I, I'm here because I want to represent my country. I want to do my best physically. I want to make people proud of me. Um, and yes, I am good enough to be here. So yeah, I, I do question some some of the things sometimes. And like you say, they're non-rugby related, and you're like, why are you doing this to me? But it's um. Yeah, it's certainly a, a mental test, and like going back to Wales a bit with it, it's the off-pitch stuff that is clouding so much of what they do now. And actually, I think it could be to the players' advantage in the fact that quite a lot of pressure for me has been taken off of the boys, and there's been some bad stuff around around the women and girls side of it as well. So it's just trying to sort that stuff off. And, and again, the mental toughness comes in separating the two. And actually, when you go on the pitch, it's forgetting about all of the politics of the game, of, of the club, of the country, of whoever, and, and just enjoying yourself. And it is a cliche, but you, you play your best rugby when you are enjoying yourself. 100%, uh, I completely agree. But uh, I mean, I think just whilst we were talking about it then, I was having some flashbacks of some pretty horrific stuff I've done that have been completely irrelevant to all things rugby. And I'm interested for both of you, can you share with us any of the, the, the crazy stuff in a pre-season that's not been rugby related, that's ended up being some just horrible fitness session? I'll, I'll give you an example from, from our side, for example. Um, I think when I was first started at Northampton, straight out of the academy, built like a kebab uh, into the first fitness session, we have done 300 kilo prowler pushes at the age of 17. I think I was... 100 kilos at a push, and definitely none of it muscle. Uh, and our head of SSC was ex-military at the time, and I had him this close to my face, shouting abuse at me, calling me a blamond, calling me every name under the sun, a load more expletives. And I think I went to like, threw up and nearly passed out. And that, he said to me a couple of years later, that was the reason why I stayed on, because it's that mental fortitude. So I'm interested. Has there been anything in both of your careers that's that's been pretty crazy that you've come out the other end of for the better. Yeah, I've got, I've got a couple and then I've got an observation one. So I thought the observation is when I see other teams doing army camps and like so people shouting at you and I don't, I can't do that. Like right there as well, you can shout at me from over there, but right there. So I do think, mm, I don't know if I'd do well at that club because this is more than once I've seen them do that. Then I mm, can't go there because the pre-season's no good. But then personally, yeah, it normally involves a walk bike and involves a lot of shouting, but, but positive and teammates. So again, even if they're encouraging me, the fact that they're in my personal space, 
I'm like, oh, I don't like this. And it's only 30 seconds, Wingate's on a watt bike. And you're trying to, my personal number was a thousand watts and was trying to get up there. And it turned out I was pretty good at it, which was like, oh, maybe I should turn to cycling. But it didn't stop me from throwing up after every two or three reps. And you're like, it's literally 30 seconds. Why is it so hard? And yeah, that was um, every Wednesday for quite a few weeks in a row in England now. Yeah, well, for me, this is my first pre-season, so I've not got any mental stories, but like, like Shauna just said, we spent a lot of time on the bike. We've done two Broncos already, which are pretty tough. Um, and I think later on in pre-season, we might be doing one of those, one of those on the camps, which I'm not, not looking forward to. Um, but yeah, no, pre-season, they're pretty dark, um, but I'm sure mid-season I'll be thankful for it. You young will, believe me, they'll come mate. You'll get a few of them soon. Well that brings us to a close. Uh, thank you all for listening. Can I please get a round of applause for our fantastic guests, Sean Brown and Will Joseph. I've been Luke Moller, you've been listening to the live version of the Players Voice podcast. If you do want to hear anything, uh, any specific guests, please get in touch using hashtag the Players Voice. Uh, but all the best, enjoy the game this afternoon, and come on England. Thank you very much.